What we saw happen last week in Acts chapter 2 was the Holy Spirit came to the church, the first 13 verses, and there, there was a number of phenomenon that happened. In connection with that, there was the sound of a rushing mighty wind, uh, uh, flames of fire were above the, the uh, followers of Christ, and there was speaking in tongues, and these were known languages when God started his church in the sense of starting it in the New Testament era. Uh, he, he didn't pick a language for the church. He, he picked every language. And there were people from, from uh, lots of different countries in Jerusalem at the time because it was a great feast going on. And so when, uh, when the disciples were filled with the Spirit at, at Pentecost, the, the mighty works of God were being proclaimed in, in everyone's language who was there. And that just was showing us that, hey, the church is open to people from every tongue and tribe and nation. And so when that happened, the people there who were from all over the world uh, were saying, look, what does this mean? What's going on here? You know, this is, this is just crazy what's going on. We can't believe it. And some were saying that, oh, well, these people are obviously drunk and speaking gibberish because they could hear uh, maybe they were hearing languages that they didn't know and just thought the whole crowd was uh, was having a party a little early in the morning. Well, Peter stands up and he delivers an address to these people. And that's where we want to pick up the reading in verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Uh, that's nine o'clock in the morning, by the way. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, 
He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word. Last week I mentioned Vince Lombardi, and uh, I got my story uh, more clear as I did a little research. And so I want to share with you, uh, last year I told you that uh, one time he made a speech about the fundamentals of football. Well, in all, uh, in all my research I found out that he didn't do that just once, he did it every year. Every year, during the first day of preseason training, Vince Lombardi, who was the coach of the Green Bay Packers, several-time world champions, uh, he would begin with five simple words. Gentlemen, this is a football. And Coach Lombardi would then go over the basics of what football is and its role in the game to this group of professional football players. And then he would take the team outside to the football field and he would explain where the out-of-bound lines and the end zones were and he would go over all the basic rules of the game to professionals. Well, our study of Acts is like that. We're getting back to the fundamentals, reminding ourselves of who we are as the church of Christ and what we are doing as the people of God. Uh, and today... What Jesus Christ has done for us and what should be our response to that. Uh, the basics of the gospel, the fundamentals of the gospel. I want to look at, there's a, there's a lot here and we might spend more than one Sunday on this section. But today I just want to look at the specifics, some of the specifics of Peter's sermon here in Acts chapter 2. And instead of saying this is a football, I want to say this is the gospel. This is the good news about Jesus. Now, as we look at Peter's sermon, we see that it was a, uh, undoubtedly a successful one. I mean, I would think it was successful if you preached the sermon and 3,000 people responded. Uh, I would be excited about that, and I'm sure that uh, Peter and the other disciples were excited with his exhortation. Um, what did he tell these people? Uh, these were the same people, as we read in the passage, there's a few clues that tell us that these were the very same people that were not long ago screaming, crucify him, about Jesus. They didn't believe in Jesus. It wasn't even two months ago that they were putting Jesus to death by their actions. Well, God obviously radically changed them through Peter's preaching. Well, what did Peter tell them? What was important for them to hear and believe and do according to what Peter says here? Let's, let's break that down this morning and get back to these fundamentals and they are as important to us as they were to those first century converts here on the day of Pentecost. We like them uh, are just as subject to unbelief 
uh, in Jesus Christ, even if we're converted. Uh, we struggle with that. Our, our, our sins are because of unbelief. We're not fully trusting in Christ and his word. Hebrews 3.12, uh, the writer of Hebrews gives a warning to believers. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need to hear this message again and again to fight off our unbelief. And I want to do that today. Let's first of all begin. Uh, Peter rehearses for this group of folks uh, the, the, the facts of Christ. He, he runs through his life, his death, his resurrection, and his exaltation. Uh, we, we break it down. He begins... Uh, addressing some of their misconceptions about who Jesus was by talking about Jesus' life in verse 22. He was, Jesus was a, a man attested by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. See, they, they had witnessed that. They had seen what Jesus did. Maybe they were some of the ones who followed him around and listened to his teachings. He was attested by God through these things. These miracles showed that he was from God. And indeed, his miracles showed that he was God. And so Peter's reminding of them of that and showing them that and helping them to, to see and remember uh, Christ in his life and what they themselves saw. Now, we weren't there. We didn't see it. But we read about it. And we see the results of it. And we need to be reminded of his mighty works. He, was, he also reminded them of the death of Jesus in verse 23. He was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. Who killed Jesus? Uh, who was responsible for his death? Well, on one level, the Romans were. And these are the lawless men that he refers to. He was killed by the hands of lawless men. And certainly Pontius Pilate and the Roman soldiers were the ones who physically actually put him to death, who, who were the ones with the authority to, uh, to give the death sentence and to execute the death sentence, and, and they did that. But the Jews who were there uh, at that time, they were the ones, he says, you, the people in his audience, you were the one who crucified him by the hands of lawless men. They were the ones who yelled, crucify him who put the pressure on Pilate to choose Barabbas instead of Christ uh, as, as the one that would go free. But see, uh, Peter affirms not that it was just the Romans or that it was the Jews, but this was actually the plan of God. And that's probably the most shocking part of it. It was by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God that they crucified him by the hands of lawless men. And, of course, the Old Testament testifies to this. We read in Isaiah 53, He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and inflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. And Isaiah goes on to say, It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. It was God's will. It was, it was something that God did. God loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus affirmed that this was going to happen. Many places. John 10, for example. Uh, the reason my Father loves me is that I, I lay down my life. I lay it down 
only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. So we might look at the scene of the crucifixion and say, those people unjustly accused him and condemned him, and then they put him to death. And Jesus seems helpless in all that, but that's not the case. Jesus had the authority to allow that to happen. And he went to it on purpose. Because as the writer of Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, the joy of saving his people from their sins, he went to the cross. And you'll notice that when he died, as as the gospels record it for us, he didn't just expire on the cross. He yielded up his spirit. He yielded up his spirit and he breathed his last. He was the one who said, it is finished, and then yielded up his spirit. When his work was done, he died on his own accord, by his own authority. There are other places, Matthew 26, for example. When Peter's swinging the sword around, you know, they're coming to get Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And and Peter's trying to whack the... The, the servant of the high priest in the head, and he, and he misses, thankfully, and cuts the guy's ear off. And Jesus says, you know, put your sword away, Peter. Uh, and, and you know, I could call 12 legions of angels to come and get me out of this situation, but how then would the Scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? See, Jesus went to the cross on purpose, and that's what Peter's telling them. You look at the situation, and, and yes, we can say that you were instrumental in it, but it was according to God's plan that he did this. This was all part of his grand plan to save his people. And then he mentions the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So yes, he's risen from the dead. And it tells us that God raised him up. And that just points to the fact that God approved of what Jesus did in his life and his death. God raised him up. If God wanted to condemn Jesus, he would have left him in the grave. But because the, uh, because he was sinless and perfect, it says here, the pangs of death were loosened because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It was not possible for death to have the victory over this one who is perfect. As we read about in 1 Corinthians, the sting of death is sin. But Jesus had no sin. He himself was sinless. And therefore, therefore death had no sting for him. Death could not keep him under its power. And David himself prophesied it, and Peter tells us about that in this passage where he talks about Uh, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. And that's exactly, and he he shows that that it was Jesus, exactly the person whom David was talking about in uh, Psalm 16, I believe it is. And then he mentions the exaltation of Jesus. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, again the resurrection, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. See, they thought he was dead. But not only was he not dead, he was alive, 
He has also ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he is at work. He is, at, he is on the loose in the universe. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he is beginning to do a great work. And that's what Peter is affirming here. The Spirit has been poured out by Christ, and people are proclaiming his work in every language known to man, and the gospel is going forth in the world, and you need to hop on, or you're going to get left behind. And that brings us to the second part. You know, Peter rehearses all the facts to these people and helps them to interpret even what they themselves have experienced in their witnessing to the life of Christ, the death of Christ, and, and uh, seeing these people who are witnesses to his resurrection and knowing that, yes, Christ is the king and he's ruling and reigning and building his church. So how should, how should they respond? Verse 36 is, is where we get to the lick log. And we're getting down to the lick log here. And that's a, an old idiom that uh, has been used. A lick log was a, a hollowed out log that they used in pioneers' days and they would fill it with salt and it would be for their cattle to go. You know, so cattle need salt in their diets. And so they would put salt in this, this lick log. And they had open uh, uh, grazing in, in the early days. And, you know, if you wanted to kind of stake your claim, you stood by your lick log. And so when someone would say, I'm going to stand to my lick log or get down to the lick log, what you're doing is you're coming to a place and you're making a statement and you're, 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 you're getting down to the business of something. You're, you're uh, making a statement about something. You're, you're getting down to the very, very time to make a decision about something. And so verse 36, Peter's getting down to the lick log. I had a friend who, who used to say that all the time and, and uh, he's a farmer. He liked that saying. And I like it too, because it does. We're, we're here, and Peter's saying, this is what you need to do. Here is the, the point. Verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You thought he was gone. You thought he was dead. You thought that he, he that you didn't have to think about him anymore. Au contraire. He is alive, he is well, and he is working. And you need to know that for certain, that this one you thought was weak and that you thought the, the Romans had put to death, he is not only not weak, he is Lord and Christ. And what does that mean, that he is Lord? Well, of course, Lord means that he's a ruler. Uh, he's the Lord of Lords. He's the ultimate Lord. Uh, he's the ultimate Master, you might say. And He is Christ. He is the Messiah. The word Christ is the equivalent of the Jewish word the Messiah. He is the promised one uh, that comes to re redeem His people. And a, lot, and a lot of those people at that time thought it was a political deliverance that was going to be brought. That, that Jesus was going to, the, or the Messiah was going to come and be a, a political leader or a king. And, and bring back the days of David and Solomon when Israel was at its pinnacle. But Jesus has bigger plans than that. He's not interested in just a, uh, an earthly kingdom in a, in, a, in a local spot on the earth. He's taken over the whole planet. Uh, he's ruler of the whole universe. And, and one day, and that's why he's at Pentecost, you've got all this, these different languages, every tongue, tribe, and nation. You know, Psalm 2 tells us that uh, God's giving... All the nations, 
for his inheritance. They will be his heritage, and he will rule over them all. See, the meek shall inherit the earth, Jesus taught. And that's not just a nice saying. Those who are his followers, who humbly come to him, they will inherit the earth. Christ is going to rule all of it, and we will, we will be joint heirs with Christ. Everything that's his uh, will be ours as well if we're his people. So he is Lord, and he is Christ. It, all, it doesn't all, often look like he's Lord in Christ. But if you think about the sun, you know, at nighttime, the sun's not shining. Well, did the sun stop shining? Uh, did somebody pull the switch and it, it went out? No, it's shining. It's just shining somewhere else in the world for a few hours. The sun never stops shining. When Christ came to earth, his glory was hidden to many people. Kind of like nighttime. Christ Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So he, he looked like a man. He looked like a, a normal person. He did some amazing things, and then he died, and you thought he died like a man, but no. He's the, he's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. He's risen. He is exalted at the right hand of the Father. And his glory is being revealed and will be revealed in all of its fullness. So how should we respond? Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So three things. First, faith. We have to know for certain that he is Lord in Christ. We have to believe and trust in him and understand uh, what he's actually done in his life, death, resurrection, and exaltation, what he continues to do in his exaltation. And, and uh, you know, not only just believe, there's more to it than just believing the facts because the Bible tells us that the devils believe the facts. They know that the facts are true, but that's not the same as faith to believe in, to embrace, to make him your Lord and, and your Messiah, your Christ. That's different than just affirming that he is Lord and is Christ. Is he your Lord and your Christ? Have you put your faith in him? Are you trusting in him? And part of that is, uh, the, the flip side of that is repentance, turning from sin, uh, recognizing that you're broken and sinful and that you can't, Fix yourself. You need someone outside yourself to, to cleanse you and wash you. And Christ is just the person to do that. And then he goes on to say, not only should we believe and repent, but that we should identify with Christ and his people. That's what baptism is. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus. When someone is baptized, they're identifying with the people of God. And, and uh, all of these, nobody had been baptized in Acts chapter 2, so everyone was called upon to be baptized. But the promise was for them and for their children. So sometimes we, so now in our economy, we baptize children. And we call them to faith and repentance. And just as I might be calling you to faith and repentance today, even though you've already been baptized, have you truly yourself united with 
the body of Christ? Have you identified with Christ and his people? Are you ready to stand up like Scott did and say, yes, I believe in Christ, I'm putting my faith in Christ, and I want to be counted as one of those people who is a follower of Christ, who is part of the body of Christ, and I want to be involved in that, and I know that God has given his people gifts to be used in that body. See, you're plugging into it, identifying with it. That's what it means to be baptized and to make the baptism that you may have had as a child, uh, you're applying it or, or living it out or being faithful to that baptism. So three things, faith, repentance, and identity with, with Christ and his people. And when you do that, Christ identifies with you. Christ identifies with you. He dwells, he gives you the Holy Spirit. He, he comes and lives within you by the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, doing that work of making you more in the image of Christ. So today, if you have never repented of your sins and believed in Christ and identified with Christ and his people, do that today. Do that today. He is both Lord and Christ. And as Peter exhorted the people back then, as we read about in, I think, verse 40, save yourself from this crooked generation. You know, both of the passages that, that he quotes, the passage in Psalm uh, one uh, 110 and the passage in Joel that he quotes are all referring to Judgment Day, uh, the day of the Lord. That's what, he's, what those passages are talking about. Save yourselves from this crooked generation because there's going to be a day when this Christ returns. This crooked generation, the Greek word there is scolios, which we get our word scoliosis, which is a curvature of the spine. This, this scolios generation, this crooked, this unscrupulous, dishonest generation in which we live. You need to be delivered from that. And then it goes on to say, or as, he, as the prophet Joel affirms, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a reassuring promise. Uh, if you want to identify with Christ and his people, Turn from your sin, turn to Christ, call upon him, and you will be saved. And for those of you who are believers, who have put your faith in Christ, renew your repentance, reaffirm your faith, and be encouraged in the Lord and what he's doing in the world. As we come to the table uh, here to, uh, this, this, uh, this morning, uh, we are remembering what Christ has done for us. You know, I've proclaimed it to you. And this table proclaims it to you as well because we see his body broken. We see his blood poured out. And that's the great act of redemption for his people. So let's prepare our hearts to come to the table and uh, cry out to God in these moments as we sing. Uh, prepare, our, prepare to come to the table. Jesus, thou joy of loving hearts. Let's stand together and sing it.